And I think that hopefully in doing that, we can just continue to offer up that idea of this is all about the both and, this is not either or. It's not like if I add more along caring for people's physical needs, now that means I need to diminish caring for people's social needs or talking about the importance of coming to know Christ. It is both and. It doesn't have to be picking one over the other. In Matthew 9, I think you see Jesus both, he's healing sicknesses, healing diseases, obviously paying attention to the physical needs. He's also preaching the kingdom of God, paying attention to spiritual needs. And I think some of the resistance one gets to these things is the fear that by saying yes to something, I have to say no to something else that's important. Instead of being able to say, no, I think in both of these worlds, whether you're a clinician or whether you're in ministry, then in both of those spaces, the best sort of work or the best sort of ministry is that sort of both and work in ministry. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today is Dave Eckert. Now, I met Dave a few years back when planning the first church mental health summit, and I absolutely loved what he was doing in the faith and mental health space. Now, first of all, what I thought was so neat about Dave was that he is both a pastor and a social worker, passionate about connecting people with where they're at by and also offering support that is both biblically based and holistically focused. Being a social worker myself, I may be a little biased, but I think this is an incredible combination, being a pastor and a social worker. Probably what Dave is no best for is cracking the code when it comes to the intersection of community mental health and faith or the church. Oftentimes I hear that a big concern for churches is how do they find organizations in the community that they can trust and how can they build partnerships or perhaps just relationships with these community organizations. And Dave answers these questions in the podcast. And if you're looking for a download to get started, I've also included these concepts in my free downloadable guide, Three Steps to Building a Care Ministry. It is incredibly valuable for your church to have partnerships with community organizations, and I believe this for three reasons. One is capacity, two, holistic care, and three is influence, and Dave is going to go into more on those in the podcast. But one of the top concerns I hear from churches is that there are often more needs than the church has the capacity to meet. So by partnering with community organizations, you are able to grow your capacity to care by having partners to refer to and to support the needs while you as the church can still be connected and engaged. This takes the pressure off you having to be all things to all people. You have trusted connections throughout your community that are able to support while honoring your role as a church or as a pastor. 
The second reason why having community partnerships is so valuable is offering holistic care. Now I've worked in for over 15 years in the community mental health sector, and there is tremendous value placed on holistic care. And this includes spirituality. While we're trained to ask about someone's spiritual beliefs and their faith, I didn't feel as a social worker that I was trained in guiding people through those types of discussions. And I remember thinking numerous times that I wish I had a chaplain to access to be able to help people navigate these faith questions. So if you as a church had a trusted relationship with community partners and organizations, it would be so valuable for them as an organization to have a go-to person when someone wanted to talk about their faith. And as a church and as a pastor or ministry leader, how amazing, how honoring would it be to be able to go into the community and be introduced to individuals who are interested in faith and looking for someone to walk alongside them as they navigated their faith and their spiritual life in a time of struggle. That would be such an honor. Now, the third value of having community partners is influence. Community organizations are often working in collaboration with each other and with the city or region to develop programs, supports, and initiatives for neighborhoods. By building trusted relationships, you can be among those collaborators. Your church can be engaged in discussions about how to increase access to care, supports, and neighborhood initiatives. When people are struggling, people are more likely to come to the church to seek support than they are to a doctor or specialist. This is known. This is very clear in research. So your church's voice in these community collaborations and conversations is incredibly valuable. But these type of influence or this type of influence starts with building trusted relationships. For many years, Dave Eckert was the director of a mobile psychiatric rehabilitation program, and this is a program that would go into neighborhoods and bring care to the people. Dave is also a pastor at a local church in the Philadelphia area, and he began to see the value of bringing these two worlds together, and he spearheaded a program called Intersect, where they are focused in fostering collaboration between faith communities and mental health providers. In this episode, Dave shares lessons learned and how your church can begin to build trusted relationships with community organizations. Dave was born and raised in the Philadelphia area, and he shares how his parents set the example of how someone doesn't just have faith beliefs, but they walk it out in their day-to-day life. I grew up in the Philadelphia area, and I was raised by two really authentically Christian parents. And what I mean by that is they didn't just talk about their faith, they lived it out in our home. I had three, two brothers and a sister, so three siblings. And so I guess from early on, I was just really fortunate to have family who cared about me and parents who gave me a vision of what it looked like to follow Jesus. I love that, that's so beautiful. Oh my gosh, that's what I hope my ki- my kids will say. Hopefully, either that or my mother ha- now I have to go to therapy because of my mother. <laughs> no I hope not it's that one. I hope it's your story. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh! It's, it's, I look back and I think I hope my kids can say of my wife and I what I can say of my parents. Exactly. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. 
Uh, were you an extrovert or an introvert? Based on our inter interactions, I'm guessing an introvert, but I don't know. Yes, yes. I Any test I've taken, I have been more on the introvert side insofar as I love to read and I'm energized by time alone. However, whenever my family leaves to go on vacation and and maybe I can't because I'm still working, I always find that within a day or two, I'm calling up people from my church and elsewhere looking for someone to hang out with me. So I can't go that long without people time. So I think I still does. And I'm, I'm in work with people as a pastor and in social work. But on the whole, yeah, I'm more of an introvert. I find that time really valuable to be able to, quote unquote, like minister out of a full cup. I really, my wife says, you're going to be grumpy unless you get your exercise and your reading in. So that's not a great virtue that I need those things, but I have learned that they're really helpful. I think it's being human. I think we all have those needs that we need or else we're going to start creeping towards the edge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good to be self-aware around what are those healthy rhythms and practices. But, you know, when I, when I read the gospels, I noticed that Jesus was both very intentional about time away, but very interruptible around people who would come in and say, wait a minute, we want to talk to you, even though you're trying to have your time in prayer. So it's always a journey of trying to find that balance of being intentional, but still being interruptible. Oh, I love that interruptible. I've never heard that before. That's fantastic. I love that. I think I agree. That's definitely something to strive for. Because sometimes if um, we are needing that downtime, if we are interrupted, that can cause us to re react probably better than respond, whether we're <laughs> sharp or edgy or, or angry or frustrated, but to be able to be interruptible. I love that. That's going to stick with me. Yeah, I was, um, reading an, an article the other day that just talked about how with time management, we can be so set on being task-based where we're thinking about how do I stuff it all in versus relationship-based where we're measuring success on, am I really tending to relationships? Now, I'm not telling you that because I'm living that way. I'm telling you that because <laughs> that was something that struck me as a need when your workload increases to still say, okay, it's good to have a plan, but it's also good to make sure you're tending to relationships in your life. Oh, I think you're preaching to me today, David, because I'm very task oriented. I, and I didn't know that. I thought I was very relational. I thought because I'm an extrovert, I'm an extrovert who's task oriented. And so this, for me, that is a, an, a different combination. Normally extrovert, well, I when I think of the typical extrovert, they're people people. And, and so I always had a hard time balancing that. And so that's really good, that's good. Um, I'm curious for you, being a pastor and a social worker, which I think is a brilliant combination, uh, a fellow social worker uh, saying that, uh, I, growing up, were you always or or were you the, a caregiver type or, or bringing pets home or befriending people at school? <laughs> people would say who knew me that I was a good listener and I was good at asking questions. However, growing up in the church, at least the tradition I was in, the vision of ministry was often the big personality up front who was speaking for a while each Sunday. And, and those people in my life were formative, so I'm not disparaging that. 
but I also knew I was the type of person that didn't lean in that direction, though ultimately God led me in a direction where I'm talking all the time. But, you know, early on, I wanted more of that interpersonal one-on-one time with people. And I think that was affirmed in me by others and something I desired for myself as well, not knowing where it would lead, but realizing that that was an inclination of mine. So did you first start as a social worker or into ministry? What was the first path that you took? Well, I first started in planning to be a physical therapist. And then while I was in class in college doing that, I thought because I love sports, I'd want to be around, you know, doing either athletic training or physical therapy, just being around people and fitness. And and I realized it wasn't for me. And someone invited me to a social work gathering. So I got into social work. But in my university, I was a dual biblical studies major and social work major. So from pretty early on, those two worlds were interacting with each other. And I was interested in both. And originally I planned to be a chaplain, but in my internship for social work, I got into community-based mental health and loved it and thought, I don't wanna work just in a building. I don't wanna work just at a prison or a hospital. Thank God for people who do, but that just wasn't where God was leading me. So I started off doing that social work, but also getting trained to do chaplaincy work, which eventually led to me being part of a church where I got ordained, and then they invited me to come on staff. So that was sort of a journey that just led in both of those directions, where since pretty early on, I've had a foot in the world of adult mental health and a foot in the world of the local church. Being a social worker, it is actually quite um, rare to meet Now, anyone listening to this, and I know many people who are social workers who are Christians, but oftentimes, traditionally speaking, those are often seen as polar opposites. So I'm curious to see how you view the the work and the function of social work and the role of pastoral and ministry, how those, um, how those collaborator like what what is the connection points between those i think it's absolutely brilliant and i see all the connections but traditionally they are not usually friends (laughs) no so over time i think what helped was being able to see that some of the principles within the social work field were such that if i framed what the church was doing with those concepts it helps people to see the points of connection. For example, if you are in social work, you care about people having natural supports and community integration. Well, one of the ways that can best happen is through churches, through the faith community. You believe people have inherent dignity and value no matter what their disability. Well, as Christians, we know that we can ground that in the fact that all people are made in God's image and therefore have inherent value. In social work, we talk about being culturally competent, right? Meeting people where they are. Well, that includes, if we're going to work with people, taking into account what is their faith and therefore meeting people where they're at, being strength-based says maybe faith is a strength. Maybe their faith community is a strength. And so I think for a lot of people in the social work field, once they hear someone be able to connect those dots and crosswalk from one to the other, it begins to make more sense for them. Oh my gosh. 
we're best friends. <laughs> I know that sounds super geeky, but I'm like, oh, I've been wanting and I've been shouting this and believing this and living this for over a decade. Like, just because it's people often say, well, psychology or, or social work, it it's it's not, you know, Christian. And I was like, well, it works because it's biblical principles. And uh, I just love how you are reframing what people see as traditional, secular psychology or social work um, in, in framing, reframing that into how it's seen in the Bible. And I just love, love that. <laughs> well, certainly in each, in each of those worlds, the church and social work, we're hoping they can be the best versions of themselves. Obviously, in each of those spaces, there can be distortions, either the distortion in the church of giving a lot of focus to evangelism, which I agree with, but maybe little focus to service. That's a, that's a distortion in which we're not being fully holistic. Similarly, it can be a distortion in social work where we're saying, well, we want to support the person around their emotional or mental or physical needs, but are ignoring the spiritual aspect of people. So I think when each side is able to be the best you know, version of themselves, then I think people can see the opportunities for collaboration that exist. So good. And this is what you led to your work today, is it not? Yeah. So because I had a foot in both of those worlds, over time, I learned a couple things. One was that oftentimes churches weren't sure how to walk with people around issues of mental health. And I also learned that the provider community, public mental health system, often wasn't sure how to navigate the spiritual dimension of people. And so after working in the public mental health system and, and directing a mobile psych rehab program from, I guess, 2001, I was in that work up through 2018, after doing that for so much time, I thought we need, I want to start this work. We call it Intersect, which is trying to support people at the intersection of faith and mental health, where through consultation and training, we're helping each of those worlds, as I said, be more holistic. But then we're also trying to foster collaboration between those two spaces as well. I love that. You're, you're, oftentimes people are siloed. The church is doing the church and the community is doing the community. And you only connect oftentimes under crisis situations or a capacity issue, like a lack of resources, time or skills. And so you only engage. Um, and what I am hearing from people is that there's a mistrust for community and public services. Can you speak to what, where that may have be coming from or how you see it? Yes, I have had multiple conversations with pastors who've said almost the same thing, which is, I don't make referrals to social services because I don't know who I can trust. And part of that concern is that if they make a referral, that someone from the mental health system is not going to respect the faith of the person, or they're not going to see the pastor or the faith community as a legitimate support system, or at least legitimate players in that person's own recovery journey. Now, we, we recognize that if the person doesn't want them to be, they shouldn't be. There is a sense in which the social worker does need to find out from the person, but to the extent that the person wants that, we need to make sure that, that it happens. And that's something I talk with my colleagues in the mental health field about. But it's just 
commonplace really for each of these sides to not have trust. And oftentimes it's just because they're not talking. I remember moderating a discussion at an event between a few clergy and about 40 mental health professionals. And one of the pastors stood up and said, I didn't even know any of you guys existed. I mean, these were, these were organizations in his community. And then one of the drug and alcohol clinic directors came up to me afterwards and he said, I've never been part of a conversation like this before. So each of those representatives of those different spaces both acknowledged, I don't know these people. I don't talk with these people. They were really happy about the conversation and the opportunities that we discussed. But it was just a snapshot for me in that moment of we really need people to be helping this conversation happen and to be doing a lot of translation work so that the language of one space can be made more accessible to those in the other space. That seems like it's a really hard work. And and it's my understanding that you've made a significant amount significant amount of headway in, in building those bridges and collaboration. Um, how have you done that? I think one of the things that is valuable is when you can have some credibility in each of those worlds. And it's going to look different in your community, your experiences. But I think for me, being able to speak to fellow social workers as a social worker, as someone who's been doing social work with them for years and years and years, it made it evident I wasn't in this for for the wrong reasons. I wasn't just here as Pastor Dave trying to get them to believe what I believe. Do I want people to believe what I believe? Sure. But that wasn't my first impulse. Similarly, if I'm talking to the church, I'm coming as a fellow believer. I'm coming as a pastor. So not that they should think this way, but if all they thought was, is this this bleeding heart social worker coming to talk to us, trying to get us to, to be sidetracked from what really our mission should be, they were able to see that's not what I'm about, right? We care about the same things. So I think it's really helpful when you can both have some credibility you know, as one of them when you're going to speak to a group, but also have ways you've thought about to be able to translate language. So if I'm talking to a church, I'm not going to talk in terms of community integration. I might talk about outreach and fellowship. And if I'm talking to social workers, I'm not going to talk about advancing the kingdom of God. I'm going to talk about collaborating for the common good. And so I think the same instincts and and message applies. But I think you see this in scripture, Acts 17, Paul is being thoughtful about who's in front of me and what appeals and what language is going to be able to influence people versus just push them away. It's not sacrificing what you believe to be true. It's just trying to be discerning around how you can move towards people and and make what you're saying accessible. Yeah, it's so good. I have two questions. The first one is, we all don't have a Dave. We all don't have someone who is both a pastor and social worker. So how how do other people, how do others um, navigate these conversations when they don't have a foot in both camps? I think one place to start is to find out who are those people 
that are working in the field. Let's start off with the, the mental health field. Who are those believers working in the field who are aching to bring these two parts of themselves together, but don't know how? That was me when I was working in the field. <laughs> right. And, and I've been at a variety of churches and spoken and people will come up to me afterwards, congregants, and they'll say, I work for this organization. I work for that organization. It's so nice to come to church and hear that these issues are being taken seriously. Similarly, I'll be at times talking to groups of mental health professionals and I'll have, let's say it's virtual. I have all these people chatting me privately saying, you know, I'm a believer too, or I go to this church. And I, I love being able to think about faith and spirituality here at work. Those are people who already have an ability to do that crosswalking and who already have relational influence. So if we could help them think through how they could use wherever they are as a bit of a beachhead to begin doing some of that work, you as the person leading it do not need to be someone who's had the experience of being in both worlds, but it is really helpful when you can do some work of identifying who those people are. Maybe it's who people are in your church, if that's the space you're in, or who people are in your organization, if you're coming from that angle. So leverage the people that you, the relationships you have who are in those spaces. And I mean, leverage in a good way, not like manipulative. <laughs> yes. And I do think of this doesn't sound like this, the Christianese answer, but I think if you do that work of leveraging, the spirit may be leading you to do something similar or pretty distinctive compared to what we're doing with Intersect. And I say this because so much of the good things that have happened have happened because of opportunities, open doors, and introductions that I never planned. Now, planning is good. I'm talking to Laura Howe, who's one of the best planners I know. So I am not against planning and strategic thinking. We have a strategic operations specialist on our team now. But it's sort of that message from the book of Galatians. Did you start in the spirit and are you now trying to continue in the flesh? In other words, don't start asking for God's guidance and then saying, wow, this is really going well. Time for me to take over. There needs to be an openness to say, God, you've created so many of these open doors and I want to keep on asking you to lead to new open doors and to even shift, you know, the directions we're heading in, if that's what you want. So I think it's wise for people to be leveraging relationships and saying, what are the open doors we have? And begin planning on what you want to do in, in your particular context, while also understanding God may have ideas in store that you couldn't have planned early on. Because we had planned in our counties around Philadelphia to do a lot of this work. And God's opened doors in all sorts of different places, Chicago, Alabama, all sorts of different places in the country. That wasn't from my strategic planning. That was God opening doors. That's so good. Very challenging, but very inspirational as well at the same time. The audience that listens to this podcast most are those who are in ministry, who are um, serving as pastors or care directors. And so, but there are often people who work in the field as frontline um, clinicians. Um, but let's first start with the, the pastoral, the ministry leader. Why, why would this be important work to them? What would be 
you know, what's in it for them? What's the benefit? You mentioned that churches often say they don't trust or they don't want to be distracted from the mission at hand. So how would this help them? How would collaborating with the community help them move closer to this mission or vision that they have for their church? Yeah, there's a lot that could be said. So I'll try to touch on just a few of them. First of all, let's just start pastorally because you brought up for a pastor. I find that for myself, one of the things I love about bivocational ministry is that it puts me around people who don't know Jesus and being in that space inspires me to do pastoral work and discipleship. And there are some pastors I know who they love being around Christians all the time, but sometimes they can yearn for being in more of those spaces where they can seek to be a light. So I would say it's personally refreshing for ministry to be in those places where you're not just surrounded by believers. Second, it gives the church opportunities to know where the needs are in their community. During the pandemic, we started a care portal that connects faith communities and community needs. And there were so many people in the faith community saying, I want to serve, but I don't know where the needs are. Meanwhile, there's people in the provider community who say, I'm getting calls every day about needs. I need people to help us. And so it can set your church up for learning not just what sort of outreach are we passionate about, but what sort of outreach does our community actually need? And third, it's a great opportunity when you make these connections to be, to have influence, not just to serve, but have influence in your community. I have multiple opportunities to represent Christianity in places in the multi-faith arena, uh, in the social work arena, because I happen to be a Christian that they know. And so if you are building those bridges, it may lead them to reach out to you when they're saying, I want to hear from a person of faith about this issue. Hey, could you come represent Christians on this panel that we have? So it's great ministry opportunities, both for your church and for you as an individual, if you're listening to this as a pastor. So those are, we could go on, but those are just a few of the benefits I've seen. Would you say that a benefit also is, um, and if it's not, then I need to know because I'm telling people this is a benefit, (laughs) Um, (laughs) is that it grows the church's capacity to care because the church can't, doesn't have all the resources, can't be all things to all people. But when you're able to connect with community partners and build those relationships in the community, you're able, when you receive or notice of needs or, or prayer requests or community needs, you know who to go to. And so your ability to care grows. Yes. I'm just looking at my own church because hopefully we're trying to practice what we preach and build relationships with some of these organizations in my own church. And there are people in my church who through bringing in organizations to speak with us have stuck with those organizations and have been spiritually shaped by some of the experience of collaborating. For example, they have learned more about homelessness in our region and have become more compassionate because homelessness is now not just an issue you think about because you hear political pundits on the nightly news or in your favorite podcast address it, but you're actually hearing about homelessness in our community where in parking lots of restaurants, there's people living in their cars and it has softened the hearts of a number of people in our church towards that issue and those who are impacted by it. 
So not only are there vehicles for service, there's also a spiritually shaping impact to building these sorts of collaborative relationships. It's so good because there's so many people in your churches that have a variety of passions and interests and skill sets that by collaborating with the people in your community, you're able to awaken and empower these people to use the giftings God gave them so that they could be light and influence in their community. That's beautiful. That's really, I see that really as leadership development and discipleship. Like you're, you're helping people grow awareness and grow in their giftings to serve as God created them to. And I think that hopefully in doing that, we can just continue to offer up that idea of this is all about the both and this is not either or. It's not mm-hmm. like if I add more along caring for people's physical needs, now that means I need to diminish caring for people's social needs or talking about the importance of coming to know Christ. It is both and. It doesn't have to be picking one over the other. In Matthew 9, I think you see Jesus both, he's healing sicknesses, healing diseases, obviously paying attention to the physical needs. He's also preaching the kingdom of God, paying attention to spiritual needs. And I think some of the resistance one gets to these things is the fear that by saying yes to something, I have to say no to something else that's important. Instead of being able to say, no, I think in both of these worlds, whether you're a clinician or whether you're in ministry, then in both of those spaces, the best sort of work or the best sort of ministry is that sort of both and work in ministry. So walk us through what you're doing at Intersect and within the Philadelphia area, because these are pretty high level concepts and ideas of how churches can collaborate and integrate and partner with with the public sector. Um, But can you give us kind of zoom in a little bit to see how you are doing it so people can get an idea? So one example is consultation, which means sometimes I'm getting calls from pastors who would say things like, There's someone in my church who's hearing voices, and I'm thinking about asking him not to come back until his voices go away. And he just needs a conversation partner, this pastor, to say, how do we think about this? How do we talk with the person? How do you ensure that you support this person rather than jump to hasty conclusions? So sometimes we're just getting calls from churches and giving them consultation around how to think about faith and mental health from within their tradition in a way that's wise and loving. Other times we're getting calls from social service organizations who are saying, this person I'm serving is talking about God. I remember a clinician say, Dave, can I call you every time someone talks about God? Because I'm an atheist and I don't know what to say to them. And for those people, (laughs) we're trying to, yeah, right? Sure. Yes, yes, please. (laughs) In those times, what we're trying to do is to help them say, okay, sure, you can always call. Let's think through how to better assess in relation to spiritual needs, how to better think about ways you could provide support, even if you have a different perspective than a person. That's the consultation piece. Second is the training piece. We are at times giving trainings to churches on things like a biblical view of mental illness, on how to support people in your congregation and community around their mental health, Uh, suicide intervention, Other times we're giving trainings to people in the social service sector on things like spiritual tools and resources for practitioners or how to collaborate with the faith community in serving people. 
And then finally, it's fostering collaboration between those two worlds, which means sometimes just this past week, got a call from a social worker about someone who wants to get connected to a church. They're transitioning out of a residential program. They need community. And they're asking, can I get connected to a church? They don't know of any churches. So we're helping them find a church in their area that can then reach out to them and support the person and get them connected to their local church. And then other times churches are calling and saying, so I've got this person in my congregation. I think this is above my pay grade. I think the person needs some sort of resource. I don't know what resources I can trust. And we're saying, hey, you might want to try this organization out or that organization out and we'll connect dots for people. So consultation, training, and then fostering collaboration is what we're doing uh, locally, but increasingly we're doing it in other spaces as well in the country. That's awesome. And do you see, was this an organization that came out of a church or is this a separate nonprofit organization? Intersect. So Intersect is an initiative within a much larger organization called Access Services. Access Services was started by a group of Christian social workers in the 1970s when people were leaving state institutions, but they were often leaving, which was a good thing because of the abuses in those institutions, but they were leaving often to just new problems like homelessness. So this group of Christian social workers started this work. That's the organization I've worked within as a director of a mobile psych rehab program all these years. And it was within that organization that when I brought up this idea and vision of Intersect, people were really supportive. My uh, supervisor was particularly supportive and tried to help me open up doors and find funding. And so this is a work that's embedded within a social service organization, which has been great because that means Intersect is not just, and, and this isn't to disparage mental health ministries that come out of churches. That's a great thing. I'm all for it. One of the things I love is that Intersect, because it's within access that has public service contracts, we're embedded within that public mental health system in a way in which we receive outside funding, but we can make inroads and connections in that public space versus being outsiders who they don't trust. So that is really, you know, a best practice like you guys are really carving a path in in an example of how, how to or this is a, a way you can engage and collaborate and build the partnerships for for like can we translate that into a local church how would we be able to foster relationships um, consultation and training for a local church that doesn't have the resources of of a, of a larger um, organization one of the things we're offering right now, just as an aside, we just are entering into our last week with one cohort where we do a, the, the series, training series, it's an eight week series called Better Together, where we're trying to help people from the faith community and the provider community to be able to collaborate for the common good. And so we have people in this cohort that are social service professionals, and we have people who work for local churches. And what we're trying to do is to say, let's look at an area that you're passionate about and help you to be a backbone leader for that initiative in ways that can garner support from people in other sectors of your community. Maybe it's government, maybe it's providers, maybe it's the faith community, so that you can lead this initiative 
for the common good. And so that's one thing you could do is take a training that puts you in a cohort where you can think through over time from beginning to end, how do I, how do I take this vision I have and move it into getting other people on board and with being able to continue it on. So that is one way that I would say could be really beneficial. Another thing people might want to consider, and I, I know this does not happen easily or quickly, but we began in recent years a multi-faith coalition in Montgomery County that brings together people across the faith community. This is Christians and people from other faiths, along with providers and along with county officials, county government officials. And each month we're trying to get people together, build relationships so that not just things can get initiatives can get planned, but organic relationships can be built so that all sorts of creative enterprises can happen just through those relationships across those silos. Um, when they're built, we've seen a number of things happen that we would have not expected just because people got to know each other who had a common passion. I like that. I think that's the 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 trust and the relationships is kind of a common thread throughout all of these things that you're you're telling and, and expressing. It's getting into the same room and and hearing each other's heart and, and, and the work that you can do. When you talked about relationship and trust, what I want to just quickly mention is that in a polarized time, it's been really rewarding to see people who are pretty different get together in the same room and figure out how to talk and collaborate across those differences. In our multi-faith coalition, we have a number of guiding principles, and I'll just name a couple of them because they have to do with what we're talking about. One is bring your whole self to the conversation. We're not looking to be, for people to be the lowest common denominator version of themselves. If you're a Christian, come and be a Christian in this space. If you're not a Christian, you can come from that perspective. Bring your whole selves to the conversation. But here's the other thing. Respect is different than agreement. We cannot all agree with each other about everything. If you had to have agreement on everything, collaboration would not be possible. But if we agree to respect one another, then all sorts of opportunities come up. And just people getting that mindset. I've seen so many great conversations and collaborative opportunities come out of the trust that can be had when we say, we do have a lot of areas we disagree in and we can talk about those things and it's okay that we're coming from different places because we both have a passion for this other thing in our community. I think it's important that, um, that, that respect is different than agreement. I think that's fantastic because, um, I think that is the undercurrent of the trust is that I don't agree. And so therefore I don't trust, but you can respect and you can have, you can find places of commonality despite your differences. And, and I can remember being a frontline, being in counseling and in a community mental health agency and people talking about the value of holistic care and the value of spiritual conversations, but yet not knowing who to go to. And so the community is needing and will find value and and honor and respect that strength and that that you said that whole self that you are bringing because it's a need within our community. And so you don't have to minimize that in order to to be able to collaborate. It's actually a strength. And I think that's really valuable. 
So where can people find um, information more about you, what you're doing at Intersect and um, hear updates? Yeah, so if you visit our website, which is accessservices.org backslash intersect, then there's all sorts of information about the work we do. We have an information and training guide, which outlines all our trainings, as well as our philosophy and approach. My email address is there. You can contact me and either myself or someone on our team would love to talk to you about opportunities for us to walk with you or be a support to the work you're doing. And then also on that website, there's a place for you to receive our monthly newsletter in which we keep you up to date, not only on work we're doing, but also on work that other people are doing in this intersection of faith and mental health. The Laura Howes of the world, other people that are doing things that we want to amplify so that people are aware. Uh, so if you care about those sorts of, uh, that sort of work that's being done, then our newsletter is one place that you could join and be kept up to speed. I get your newsletter. It's very good. I always read it because I think it's a really unique work that you're doing and, and a valuable work. And I think a work um, that a lot of people want to do, they just don't know how to do it. And so what I'm hearing from this conversation, it's, it's start building the trust, open dialogue, find the commonalities of, of, you know, the common good for the community. And then God will lead that and it will flourish into some pretty cool and creative ways. Now that that's certainly been my experience that God opened doors and he wants us to be thoughtful and discerning about how to best do that and plan as best we can but to also be open to ways in which he may use experiences from our past uh, to guide us. He may use relationships we have. He may use other people we've never met before as his way of guiding us into opportunities that we'll look back on and say, wow, God, you've, you've really been the one making this happen. And so where you're at now in saying in awe of all of that God has done and the connections that you made and the the ex the growth and the collaborations within your community all of that if you could go back in time and write yourself or no maybe not even well back in time and show up but that would be kind of scary but write yourself an email or, or a voicemail what would you tell your former self i think i would tell my former self that god doesn't waste anything I had heard that phrase from a Christian singer-songwriter named Michael Card in reference to his difficult relationship with his dad, that he realized even in the midst of the difficulty, God used and redeemed some of those experiences. And I would say working in the mental health field for all those years, I didn't expect or know that it would be so foundational to the work I do now with Intersect. And I appreciated that work as an in and of itself, but it just strikes me how God in all that time was preparing me as, as in addition to using me, hopefully in the lives of people I was serving at that point, I did not realize he was taking the time to work in me to be able to see needs and to be able to develop skills and knowledge that I could not be doing the work now if I did not have those experiences and knowledge that only came from years of doing this work. And so 
right now in this moment, I sometimes say, what are those things that God is teaching me right now that I will not know for another 10 years? And how can I trust him in the present moment in light of what I know from the past he does in our lives? So that's one thing I think I'd want to tell my former self. I think you just tell myself that too, because, oh, that is my story too. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much. I have always loved talking with you and uh, what you are doing in the Philadelphia area is brilliant. And uh, I hope it can inspire many others as well. Thanks so much, Laura. I appreciate you giving me the time to talk with you. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to begin to build relationships with community organizations? And if you're not sure where to start, grab that free guide, Three Steps to Building a Care Ministry, and it's linked in the show notes. If what you've heard was helpful today, I would love it. Be incredibly honored if you could write a review. This is going to help others find the podcast more easily. And of course, don't forget to follow to be notified of new episodes. Thanks for connecting. Take care.